You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's live broadcast of TPC. It has been nothing less than a stupendous September of programming here on the on the broadcast. And tonight will be no different. I mean, tonight we are actually even taking it to the next level. It is the last day of September, the last show of September. Happy fall, everybody. Saturday evening, September the 30th. Uh, as you know, we announced last week that uh, we're going to be joined this evening by number one Amazon best-selling author Ed Bradeau. He uh, has written the book The War on Whites, How Hating White People Became the New National Sport. Very interesting guy, very interesting background, working in big business with these Fortune 500 companies as a negotiator, and how he ended up writing a book like that. Oh, we're going to find out. We're going to hear his story, and we're going to get into the book. That's in the second hour. But first, what a surprise guest have we for you this evening. Joining us live from Ireland right now, we didn't even publicize this on the website. Uh, we uh, got in touch with Keith Woods really just a couple of hours ago, and he said he'd be happy to stay up late. And so now here he is making his debut appearance, actually both of the guests tonight making their debuts on TPC, uh, joining us live from Ireland right now. A man who probably needs no introduction after his uh, activism in this past uh, month, but it is Keith Woods. Keith, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's been a, been a hell of a month, like you said. <laughs> well, you're too modest, uh, really. I, I asked you for a bio for introductory purposes, and uh, what you came back with was, uh, was again, very humble. Uh, you wrote that you're an Irish nationalist and a polemicist, active on Twitter and writing at Substack. You've been published by the UNS Review, and, of course, uh, earlier this year, really just last month, you spoke at the American Renaissance Conference on the topic of Ireland's denationalization. Uh, but my friend, you are a lot more than that. Uh, but before we get into what made you really not just the man of the hour, but I think uh, an activist who scored a breakthrough, the likes of which I don't know in some ways if we've ever seen, not at least in my 20-year career. Uh, but we'll get to that. That's what people want to hear about, and we'll get to it. Uh, but as we do with all first-time guests on the program, let's just talk a little bit more about your background. I mean, I have known you like so many through reputation, and I've seen your work, and I've seen a lot of your live streams and a lot of your interviews and a lot of your commentaries. But until the American Renaissance Conference we were both at last month, uh, I don't think I'd had the opportunity to speak with you before. Uh, but So let's talk a little bit about that origin and uh, you know, your genesis story with regards to these issues and this cause of ours. Yeah, well, actually, like a lot of uh, like a lot of people in Ireland, uh, I was kind of I was always a, you could say a nationalist, but I was somewhat on the left. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a different dynamic here when you have like the old Republican tradition and Sinn Fein and stuff. So, as someone that was you know sympathetic to you could say our nationalist past, I was originally drawn to, to Sinn Fein and left wing Republicanism, but I became very disillusioned with that uh, as I came into adulthood and I, I saw Sinn Fein becoming this you know, essentially a globalist Marxist party. Um, so, yeah, I began to look more into, into right-wing thinkers and conservative thought. And 
began putting stuff out on, on YouTube, on, on various social media platforms. Uh, originally, it was more philosophy-focused, actually, but more and more got drawn to talking about these issues. Uh, I've become active with the, the National Party here in Ireland, uh, which is our, you know, our premier uh, nationalist movement here. And yeah, I mean, you alluded to it, but you know, it was a big year this year because I, I was actually banned off Twitter in 2021 with no explanation, like many others. And uh, I was one of the one of the late people restored uh, with the, the Elon amnesty that never quite happened, but happened. Um, and I got my account back in in April, and since then it's 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 kind of exploded uh, in terms of of reach, <laughs> uh, new followers. Um, I took a look at September stats. I had 33 million impressions on Twitter. I've caught the attention of Elon Musk, and you know this month was especially successful because we got the hashtag ban the ADL campaign going, which obviously sparked uh, sparked a few stories of its own. A historic strike, I, I think you made there, and, and we're going to get into that. And I certainly want to ask you some questions about, you know, what you were feeling and experiencing as you saw this engagement with Musk, and you saw how this became just an international news story. I mean, a truly, truly huge news story. I mean, that's that's not even really an adjective that properly covers it. But yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it, and I, you know, of course, I, I do want to ask you your thoughts. And I guess your thoughts will be as informed, perhaps even more than anyone else, in a moment about the, you know, obviously the schizophrenia in place at Twitter or X with regards to you got pardoned and then, you know, other people got banned and there doesn't seem to be any consistency there and what you think may be going on there. But thank God you are on there because, as you said, uh, I get uh, rate limited. My, You know, I'm permanently suspended, but I can still get on there and see a few tweets a day before I get uh, it's in a read-only mode. Uh, but, yeah, you wrote pretty good month. 32 million uh, views that you had on Twitter. I mean, you know, you're going to be up there. You know, that that's probably as many eyeballs as some of these network TV shows are getting. I mean, that is just a, a tremendous amount of uh, noticing and uh, a, a amount of people you're reaching through this platform. Yeah, well, you know, one thing I noticed, because uh, I, like I said, I was banned off Twitter for two years, but while I was off, you know, like you, I'd kind of take a peek, uh, catch up on news there, see what was going on. But I did notice over the last couple of years, and this kind of gets to what you talked about in your Amaran speech, that you could see like the, the kind of big conservative accounts um, moving much more towards like our kinds of ideas, like white identity, anti-immigration. And even though, you know, all our kinds of people were banned off there, uh, you'd often see like an organic reach of, of, you know, just a kind of basic like nationalist talking point or a meme getting 10, 20,000 likes. So I have been noticing in the last couple of years, there doesn't seem to be a huge appetite for nationalist talking points, for anti-immigration, for, you know, conservatives basically to adopt a lot of talking points that used to be associated with, I guess, all the dissident right. Um, and I certainly saw that as a as a huge opening, and that's definitely been my experience uh, since going back as well. Is there's an appetite for this, it's pushing other right wing influencers further right. You know, Elon Musk's Twitter this week. If anyone checks it, I mean, half his tweets have been about the migration crisis. He actually visited the southern border and and documented it himself. And he's, you know, he's boosting stuff about. The, the mass migration to Italy and into Europe and so on. Um, so I do think there's a change in climate on the right, uh, which, again, you know, it's, it's why it's so important for us to to be in the fight there and to be getting our, our talking points across. 
But like you said, yeah, it's been quite a schizophrenic uh, reign. You know, you were you were one of the people that were banned um, without explanation. Uh, you were banned along with Kevin McDonald and, and uh, Tom Sunick and all these people, some of, whom, some of whom didn't even use the platform, uh, which suggests that, you know, probably your name was on some list, uh, maybe it was the ADL or, or the SPLC or something, but it was on some list that was handed to Twitter. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot to be positive about in some ways about about where Twitter is now, but unfortunately, uh, it hasn't quite delivered on the promise so far. Well, I, I got to be honest. I'll certainly trade my presence there for yours in light of what you've done. I mean, seventy six thousand of followers you've got. You picked up twenty thousand just in the last month alone. Thirty two million impressions, and you're not laying it back, my friend. I mean, you're not just up there. You know, regurgitating some milk toast, uh, lukewarm talking points. I mean, you're going right after the jugular of the biggest beast in town. And we're going to talk more about that with Keith Woods staying up late past midnight in Europe. And we're so thankful for him for that. Stay tuned. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. The one and only Keith Woods making his debut appearance on the program, what we hope will be the first of many conversations and collaborations to come. Keith, we talked a little bit about uh, your background just sparingly in the first segment. Uh, When would you say, though, you first became active? I mean, obviously, I'd been seeing you on live streams and in interviews and debates for a long time on uh, YouTube and other uh, platforms. But uh, about what time did you arrive on the scene, would you say, in, in the way you are now publicly? Uh, well, I, f- I first met a YouTube channel in the uh, very early 2019, uh, so that's, that's when I started making content. But you know, I encountered 
this kind of online right space. I guess it was actually with the, you know, that kind of Trump wave of populism. Um, you know, there was obviously far less censorship at the time. So if you were on social media at all, you were kind of catching all of these uh, memes and themes that were going around. There was a lot of uh, exciting energy. You know, Brexit was happening. Trump was happening. Um, the National Party in Ireland was actually formed in uh, 2017 uh, and was kind of coming off the back of, of, of that of populism. Uh, so that's when I started to really, you know, get interested in this side of things. But yeah, I started making content around 2019. See, that's incredible. I mean, there was such a proliferation of new content creators around 2015 and 16, of course, and for obvious reasons. But it really just exploded the amount of people who were just fantastic communicators and people who were putting together very thoughtful programs uh, that just ballooned out around that time. You came even actually a little later than that. So from 2019 to 2023, you had really a rocket-like ascension uh, into this thing to where now you, you're, you're sitting at the tip of the spear of it all. And I want to comment on one more thing you said in the last segment before uh, we get into the band, the ADL. I mean, my, we got to spend some time on that. Uh, but you were talking about how now all of these conservative influencers are now sort of speaking our language with regards to identity and uh, solidarity and race realism. And, and here's another example of that. This was just published, let's see, this was published today in The Guardian, uh, the headline is, No Enemies to the Right, DeSantis Ally Hosts Debate Hedging White Nationalism. Now, they're talking about Chris Rufo here, and uh, we're not going to get into all of his background, but he's a pretty big uh, you know, Republican conservative type of uh, influencer. And he's hosting this debate on X, on Twitter, uh, this uh, Twitter space or X space, whatever they're calling it now. And the hypothetical question was posed to his guest. And the question is, let's say... A real white nationalist arose who had real political power and therefore could be of assistance against the left. Now, this is a question, a hypothetical, of course, where the true conservatives, Keith, you know, uh, the principled conservatives, the people who live to, to lose, would have said a few years ago, well, no, we're going to stand on our principles, we're going to reject that, and so on and so forth, and there's no room for racism and whatever. Uh, but... Responding to this hypothetical, the answer was given. I think that the answer is that you should cooperate with that person in order to destroy the power of the left. That's how far establishment conservatives have moved in a very short time. We're talking about really, really the last three years since the Biden inauguration. Very interesting. Yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't aware of that. But I mean, it's I have noticed with those guys, you know, you have these guys, Christopher Rufo and James Lindsay. These guys are kind of centrist. They're trying to, you know, fight what they call woke with classical liberalism, with centrism. But yeah, if you, you know, if, if you go to their pages, if you look at their replies, it's full of like our guys saying, you know, this isn't enough. Uh, we want more. We want you to go further to the right. And they're constantly, if you look at someone like James Lindsay, he's basically constantly in a battle with, with nationalists on on Twitter saying, no, no, we have to stick by classical liberalism. We can't embrace collectivism. But with all of these people, it's like their audience has kind of moved beyond them. You know, they've 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 gone on without them. They've found uh, uh, better yeah. influences, better information out there. Uh, even Charlie Kirk, like Charlie Kirk, now yes. says things that in 2017, you know, you would have been an old right white supremacist, white nationalist if you're saying this stuff. He he's recently been talking about replacement migration and white demographics. It's you know, it's hard to believe how how far that's advanced. The way Matt Walsh. I think Matt Walsh has done like four or five videos in the last month on anti-white discrimination about demographic change. So, yeah, it's, it's a real sea change happening before our eyes. It's, it's very it's, interesting. It's, 
It is incredible. It's astonishing how quickly it's happening, too. I mean, this is something that's accelerating at, at a very rapid pace. And I actually, you mentioned my Amarin speech. You opened up the conference, by the way, with an incredible talk on, on uh, Irish nationalism and what's going on, the situation in Ireland. Uh, but in my talk, I actually mentioned those two people specifically, Charlie Kirk and Matt Walsh. These are, you know, TPUSA. These are heavy, you know, conservative uh, incorporated influencers. And I don't think necessarily that they probably are inherently opposed to the message. But I do think that there is a, at least somewhat, they are saying these things in order to keep up with their base because there's no doubt about it. A few years ago, Charlie Kirk particularly was kicking out people for for asking even questions like this. And now he's basically, uh, you know, citing a chapter and verse in his own commentaries, which I think is a good thing. And I think that these people should be welcomed uh, because I've always said when the, the tide turns, these people are going to come and we need to be, you know, we can't say, well, because you weren't here this year, we won't accept you now. We need to accept the help and we need to have this coalescence and this snowball-like effect. And, and it is happening. And I think it's going to continue to happen. And I think that the white Republican base is advancing quickly towards uh, white identity politics, uh, which is good. But let's talk now, uh, and we'll spend the rest of the time talking about ban the ADL, that, the hashtag heard around the world. Uh, what actually got that started? I mean, I, I certainly don't think as well engaged as you are on social media, and, and, and you have a huge following there. I mean, surely you couldn't have anticipated what was going to happen uh, when you laid that out there. What was the uh, motivation? What was the inspiration uh, for you posting that that first time? Well, I mean, honestly, hashtags have kind of been dead <laughs> as a means of engagement for a few years now. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe for, maybe, maybe for a few hours, uh, maybe for an hour or two, we could just break into the trend and, and a few people would, would see it and find their stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it took off. And I think a big part of the reason it took off is exactly what I've been discussing, that you have, um, you know, you have these conservative influencers that are much more open to this kind of thing now. Uh, some of the first people that took this up, one was Jake Shields, who's a, a retired MMA fighter. He has like 400,000 uh, uh, followers on X. And, you know, again, he's not he's not like really our guy, so to speak, but he's a guy who has conservative instincts and who's been, you know, following the news, obviously, on, on Twitter for the last couple of years and been getting very, very alienated with the whole system. And, yeah, you know, screw the ADL. You know, as soon as he saw what this, this organization was engaged in, he was happy to jump on board. Now, that's big. Yeah, I, I describe these people as not our guy, but not not our guy. But continue on. Yeah, and I, it was just it, it was like that. You know, it was just kind of a spread where you have influencers that were not wanting to be left behind by this. They wanted to jump on before others did. Um, and I sensed, I mean, when I put it out, I sensed that there was an appetite for it because there was the announcement of Linda Yaccarino as, as CEO of, of X, and then there was the announcement that, Elon Musk uh, had had a meeting with Jonathan Greenblatt. And there was just this general sense of fatigue, I felt, among uh, conservatives on the platform that they were super optimistic about Musk's takeover. It seemed to be going in the wrong direction again. Um, but there was never really a target. You know, there was never really something that they could turn their ire to, just this general kind of pro-free speech thing. Um, but to be able to unite them against kind of a, a common enemy that really represents all of what they oppose. And I think this is a big part of it as well. You know, I think Jonathan Greenblatt is as much responsible for band the ADL as anyone. 
because uh, it's not something you could have got done a few years ago. You know, there was a time when the ADL presented itself as kind of nonpartisan, um, and that's kind of where its power lay as it could claim to, you know, be outside this partisan fold and, and speak for the Jewish community. But, you know, when they demand the banning of, of Donald Trump from social media, when they launch an advertiser boycott on, on Twitter before Musk has even become CEO, um, you know, when they have this uh, anti-Christian messaging on their website, I mean, it, it just like hit all the right points where it's like, if you're conservative in any way, shape or form, you have to oppose this organization. And yeah, I mean, I was still amazed, though, at how many uh, big conservative influencers jumped very early on. I mean, Dinesh D'Souza, of all people, was was retweeting me and was uh, was all excited <laughs> about this idea of, of, of banning the ADL. So it, it really didn't take long to get out there. And you know, the, I think the last big uh, influencer to finally to finally put out an anti-ADL message was Ben Shapiro, because he, he waited wow. and he didn't want to get in on this. Obviously, he, he doesn't want the topic of conversation to be the ADL, right? He'd rather it be, uh, uh, you know, Biden or tax cuts or something. But it's just got to a point where it's like, well, Matt Walsh, Dinesh D'Souza, all these people, all your followers are engaged with this. And it's like at a certain point, even these conservative Jews, Ben Shapiro, Stephen Miller, these guys, even they said, you know, we have to get out in front of this. We can't ignore it. We're going to have to do some kind of damage control. You know, let's say it's just a left-wing organization that's kind of a happy medium and attack it on that basis. But yeah, it's just that it's that thing where there's like, you know, there's a little bit of a step to the right each time. But, you know, like we've been talking about, the audiences of these people are much further ahead of them than they are themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to spend the final half hour of our hour with Keith Woods tonight on this topic, this hashtag and its effects and where things may be going from here. Stay tuned. The man of the hour with us this hour. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Skip Kelly. On the brink of a federal government shutdown, the House on Saturday afternoon swiftly approved a 45-day funding bill to keep federal agencies open as Speaker Kevin McCarthy dropped his demands for steep spending cuts and relied on Democratic votes for passage to send the bill to the Senate. The new approach would leave behind aid to Ukraine, a White House priority, opposed by a growing number of GOP lawmakers. But the plan would increase federal disaster assistance by $16 billion, meeting President Joe Biden's full request. The package was approved 335 to 91, with most Republicans and almost all Democrats supporting. Members of both parties are remembering California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who passed away at the age of 90 this week. The news of Feinstein's passing hit hard from the White House. Dianne made her mark on everything from national security to the environment, gun safety to protecting civil liberties. The country's going to miss her dearly, and so will Jill and I. To the halls of Congress. Dianne was a trailblazer in her beloved home state of California. And our entire nation are better for her dogged advocacy and diligent service. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell adding she was truly remarkable. Feinstein served in the Senate for more than 30 years, being first elected in the early 90s.
I'm John Schaefer. Another 7,000 auto workers walked off the job in Illinois and Michigan yesterday as United Auto Workers expanded its strike against Detroit automakers. The move was done to put more pressure on Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. The strike has been going on for two weeks now. About 25,000, or 17% of the union's members, are striking. The IRS is implementing stricter regulations for ticket resellers. Individuals who earn over $600 from ticket resale must now declare that income as taxable. This is USA News. Hey there, this is Brant along with Sherry. Hi. Maybe you've heard about MediShare. Maybe you heard me talking about it. Well, Sherry helps produce these spots about MediShare. So people ask us, does this actually work? Is this really a great option for my health care? And honestly... The answer is yes. Yes, yes, it For is. real, yes. And you know what? It's funny, too, because a lot of people are fed up with their current arrangement or they're looking to save money, but they're hesitant, right? I'm like, MediShare has been doing this for 30 right. years. I think you can trust that, you right? You can. MediShare really is the gold standard for this healthcare sharing thing, too. And I, I've done it. You've done it. And people are really happy after they make the switch. I keep talking about the member satisfaction rate. It's real. It's like double that of health insurance. I have loved it. They're professional and they care. That in and of itself is refreshing. We could change your name to MediSherry. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool marketing thing. It's not going to happen. You can save a ton (laughs) and be really happy with it. They're great to talk to. Call them now. They really are. Just call this number. 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Ladies and gentlemen, honored to have uh, Keith Woods with us tonight. Uh, if you're still allowed on Twitter, or X if you prefer, at Keith Woods YT, at Keith Woods YT there on Elon Musk's playground. And uh, from there, you can find uh, all of the links uh, to his other work and locations, and we encourage you to do so. I uh, got a text message here from our mutual friend, Keith, Jared Taylor. Jared texting me. Only if it's a comfortable thing to do. Please give Keith my applause and best wishes. Let him know that I applaud him for all he has done and wish him every success. A very good man. So, Jared, message delivered, and hopefully it's received on your end all the way over there in Ireland, Keith. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was a, it was a real honor to meet Jared when I went over for the Ameren Conference. And, uh, yeah, I really, I really hope to see both of you guys back on the platform. I think... Uh, I think there's a real appetite for a Jared Taylor on uh, on X right now, and the, some of the things we've been saying. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Jared uh, is a man who you know the the room swoons when he walks in. He's a great guy, known him forever, all time most interviewed guest on this program. Uh, we've been friends for about 20 years, and so yeah, well, it would be fun to all get together again. Uh, but getting back to the uh, the topic at hand, so you were talking about with the band, the ADL hashtag, it started to be picked up by. Uh, celebrities and then people like even Dinesh D'Souza and others, and it started to make a a groundswell. Uh, Before we go on to Elon Musk's involvement, would you agree or disagree, Keith, with this? And I don't want to oversimplify things, but uh, Donald Trump obviously was a game changer. He was a catalyst in all of this, and I think rather inadvertently, but nevertheless, Donald Trump enters uh, the Republican primary 2015-2016, and uh, we know what happened throughout the course of his administration, but especially in the year of, of George Floyd, 2019, 2020, 2020 is when it was, I guess, that re-election year. 
I, I think that is when, for whatever reason, uh, the woke institutions in general and subversive organizations like the ADL and the SPLC especially, I, I just for whatever reason, they just couldn't seem to control themselves. They didn't have the self-control to see that uh, Trump could have been just a blip on the radar if they had have just waited him out, if they had just sat on the ball and allowed the demographic displacement to continue at pace, that would have been all they needed to do. But for whatever reason, they couldn't seem to do it. They really saw him as an avatar of white supremacy or fascism, which, of course, he never was. And they went all in with the destruction of historic American monuments, critical race theory, transgenderism, the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI, and now all of these arrests of Trump's. And I think they have overplayed their hand to such an extent that they are the reason that the Republican base has moved in the direction that they have moved far more than our collective. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I agree. And like you said, I do think it was kind of in spite of Trump. I mean, I think like it would have been a lot wiser for them to kind of embrace Trump. Um, because, I mean, at least if, if you look at the way he governed, it wasn't much different from, from a typical Republican. And I always got the sense from him in his speeches and so on that he really wanted to be welcomed into that establishment. Yes, you know, yes. he did signal a lot that he was that he was more moderate than, you know, than the, the left and then the establishment were making him out to be. Even seemed in some of the speeches, it's almost like to have a, a kind of inferiority complex that he was excluded by, by these people. But yeah, they you know, totally he, overplayed their hands. He, he certainly said things that white people liked. He certainly said things that no other Republican contender and certainly no other Republican president has ever said in my life. He said, you know, things about immigration, which was obviously true, how he uh, addressed the Charlottesville, for instance, in the immediate aftermath of that, you know, praising people like Robert E. Lee and the Confederate, you know, the Confederate, the uh, military bases who were named after Confederate heroes. I mean, he certainly said those things, but in, as far as what he was able to accomplish, yeah, as you said, he governed, uh, you know, as, as a typical Republican for the most part, but he it, just saying the things that white people agreed with seemed to be enough uh, to set them off into this just crazed, hysterical, uh, reactionary type of uh, path. And uh, here we are now. And where we are now, there is just so much polarization. There is so much contempt from one side to the other. I don't think America is going to go back together like Humpty Dumpty. And that's a totally different conversational thread but next year's just going to be very interesting are they really going to put him in prison i think so i don't think trump's going to be able to to beat the rap in washington dc with a black female judge and an all-black jury and that's not to even mention atlanta and new york and all of these things so i mean what we're going to see in america next year is unprecedented and uh i don't know where it's gonna where it's gonna fall but i do think that the people uh that are that are running this show right now are out of control. Uh, the people in control of our institutions and our media and our you know, government and academia and, and so on and so forth. And, th- and that, of course, plays into this whole thing with ban the ADL. I think other people are seeing this, too, and they see the ADL certainly as a, a big player in in all of this and the things that they don't like they don't see the adl as as an organization as they present themselves i think elon musk i mean my god that thing you know where he did the meme with justin timberlake from uh, the social network movie drop the ante just defamation league it's cleaner i mean people get it now you would have never seen this keith never keith certainly not 10 years ago not even during the trump administration this is something like you kind of bursting onto the scene in 2019 this is a a, a phenomenon unique to just the last two or three years you would not have had a climate that would have produced something like 
banned the ADL going worldwide and Jonathan Greenblatt going on this damage tour four years ago. Yeah, and like you said, there is no brakes on this train. I mean, you can. It's interesting. I find um, like if you watch Bill Maher, like he's one of the more intelligent liberals. He's kind of yes. an old school Democrat. Yes. I'll sometimes check in on his monologues, and you can see people like him are raising the alarm bell. You know, he did a huge monologue last year about uh, the trans issue going way too far, about trans kids like being totally off putting, and he's basically been sounding the alarm for a few years now, where he's saying, "Hey, this stuff is like emboldening the right." Uh, we could win like every election if we just put this woke stuff away. Like, why? Why are you like crazy and saying woke people like throwing away our, our rule with this stuff? Um, but it's fallen on deaf ears because you know they've created this this Frankenstein's monster of, of these people that are hopped up on critical race theory and and all the other stuff they get out of the university system, and there's really just no stopping them. And you know censorship plays into this as well. This story of of the right becoming radicalized and part of it being the overreach of the establishment. I mean, the censorship kicked into overdrive under Trump. You know, back in 2016 when Trump was elected, this is one of the things I actually posted to Twitter that Elon replied to. There was a clip of Jonathan Greenblatt from 2016 saying that he thought that any legal speech should be allowed on social media, that he didn't agree with Holocaust denial, but he thought that everyone had a right to uh, express it online and. Out of the ADL with threats of violence. It's only, you know, seven years ago, but my God, it feels like a lifetime. You get to 2020 and he's demanding that Donald Trump be banned off all social media. So there was huge <laughs> overreach in that regard as well. And I think it played into what you're talking about with the, the right becoming more radicalized because I think there's an effect where it's like if all they censored was the, you know, the neo Nazis, the white nationalists, uh, okay, they're cordoned off into their own section. But it's like when conservatives are getting banned for uh, different narratives about COVID lockdowns or about vaccines, it's like suddenly everyone was forced into the same kind of playpens. You know, now Russell Brand is on Rumble and, uh, yes. you know, Jimmy yes. Dore is being canceled. And, and now it's like the cost of being canceled isn't so much. It's like maybe one time, okay, you're a conservative you'll avoid immigration, you'll avoid white identity because that could get you canceled, get you banned. But the calculation is very different if you're getting banned for, you know, question lockdowns. Then it's like, well, I'm already here with all these cancel people, uh, I'm already here with all these nationalists. I mean, it's like, what do you have to lose at that point? You're already, uh, according to the ADL and the SPLC, you're already a right-wing extremist. Exactly. I mean, that goes back to the Christopher Rufo, uh, Rufo uh, Twitter space where he said, you know, in a hypothetical situation, if a white nationalist authoritarian comes to power, how would we view that? And the answer was, let's let's work with him to <laughs> cancel the power of the left. Uh, so, you, again, you wouldn't have seen that before, but there's certainly a more enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing now going on than ever before. And yeah, COVID, I mean, that's a whole nother thing that happened in the last three years. I mean, there's just been so much that's gone into the blender and, and we see what now is being so served out but um the um yeah and, and of course the the overplay the lack of awareness and discernment from these groups adl splc the entire woke establishment i mean you know trump never was leading in a poll uh in 2016 or 2020 and now the latest what was it washington post poll has him up 10 points over biden that is these people that are seeing the overreach the independents and whomever and i mean it's just really i mean that is something he's up 10 points according to this one poll he's up by at least a point or two by the majority of polls but 10 by one of these you know very mainstream establishment system polls and that again 
I wonder if they'll learn from it. I hope not, because they are doing everything that I would have them do. Yeah, and, you know, another example of this, I mean, Elon Musk himself is an example of this, where it's gotten so bad and the censorship got so bad and the overreach of these uh, activists got so bad that now you do have these guys like Elon Musk and and some other guys in, in Silicon Valley, these kinds of, you know, Gen X tech bros, they were always apolitical their whole lives, or maybe they were just kind of a, a little bit libertarian. But suddenly they were looking at this and like, my God, this is going to that, impact if we can do business. This is going to, you know, this is destroying the things we care about. Let's come back right there. Last segment on Elon Musk. Materialistic science states the universe and everything in it emerged from an unguided, chaotic expansion of space-time matter energy labeled the Big Bang. But far from being the result of a chaotic Big Bang, the universe was initiated and put into ordered motion by the Creator. Thomas Jefferson, in the Declaration of Independence, attributed the laws of nature to the Creator, nature's God. Now, the Declaration of Wide Independence by Kyle McDermott sets the record straight, from the inception of the laws of nature and of nature's God, to the right of all the peoples of mankind to be self-governing within their own homelands. This book provides an ideology to utterly defeat the woke globalist communist tyrants. The Declaration of Wide Independence is a highly recommended addition to community, college, and university library philosophy collections and supplemental curriculum studies lists. Available at the Dixie Republic and Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, DixieRepublic.com, and at Barnes & Noble. In the medical field, IT security is crucial. Our highly skilled consultants are HIPAA certified and have 20 plus years of experience servicing medical clinics, billing and supply companies. We offer comprehensive endpoint protection, guarding your computers and servers against all stages of threats. And with our 24-7 monitoring services, you'll never worry about extensive downtime again. Ready to level up your IT support? Call 801-706-6980 today and discover how great IT services can be with Managed IT Services. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. Keith Woods uh, quite rightly making his victory lap, his Heroes Tour this month. Uh, Keith, you wake up one morning, this band, the ADL thing that you started, you and you alone started, is trending worldwide on social media. And then the world's richest man is directly engaging you. Let's talk about that, Elon Musk. And not just once and not just a throw-off thing. It seemed like for a week there with his morning coffee, uh, Elon would get on there and see what you were saying and then respond in kind. I mean, that is an incredible thing when you have one of the world's most influential men taking on one of the world's most uh, powerful, subversive organizations. And you were the (laughs) <laughs> the go-between that that made that happen what are you thinking when you see this i mean what was your initial reaction uh shock i was <laughs> definitely a, a shock <laughs> when i was waking up uh three or four mornings in a row seeing uh, elon musk in my replies and 100 notifications of people telling me elon's blind me again yeah it was a it was an interesting time 
And I mean, it did end with him um, when he announced that he was going to sue the ADL. I mean, he basically used the talking point that we'd been using from the beginning, which is, and you know, the first tweet that I used the hashtag in, which was that, you know, this organization, their boycott costs you all this advertising revenue. They used your platform to do this. You hadn't even taken over. Um, and, you know, this is the organization that, that needs to be pushed back against. I mean, he was using the same screenshots. He was using the same talking points. So it's good to see it filter up like that. And what I was saying before the break is I think Musk is an example of, of this overreach as well. According to some stories, I don't know if this is true, or not, but, you know, he does have a kid. Uh, that became transgender and, and essentially uh, disowned them, changed their name uh, at the age of 18, doesn't have contact with them. According to some people, that is basically when he became political and decided he had to do something about the, the situation in the West. I've heard that. Be I don't know. Yeah, I've, true, heard I know his, I've heard the rumor. Yeah, yes. so I know his, his latest biographer said that he essentially bought X because he thought that his dreams of space travel would not be possible uh, with social media going the way it was without a, a free public square. He thought that was essential. And you look at some of the accounts that were restored. I mean, a lot of them were just personal friends of his that were banned, um, and you know, banned for things during COVID when there was big overreach. So I think that's an interesting case as well, where you know you have these. I mean, obviously, we would like uh, you know, there's not much in the way of elite sport or anything. I can assure everyone. But, I mean, you have to think, like, there are these people that, like I said, they were apolitical or maybe they're libertarian. And the diversity stuff, you know, it hasn't really affected them, the woke stuff. They might laugh at it, but it doesn't really affect their lives. But you look at a guy like Musk, you know, he loses a child to trans ideology. Um, he's, he's been sued by the DOJ for, like, racial discrimination. Uh, you know, his SpaceX was not hiring refugees fairly. Um, he, he isn't able to launch rockets because he has to wait for some uh, bureaucratic procedure to go through about about snails where he's where he's launching uh, where he's launching his missiles. So it's like, you know, all of these things like it, it is encroaching on every aspect of life, and you have to think there's a lot of elites that are realizing the competency crisis, um, the overreach of censorship and the government. You have to think like there's going to be more of a backlash from people we haven't seen it before. The the current trend, the current trajectory of this thing is entirely in our favor, and I don't think it's going to be put back in. I don't think the toothpaste is going back in the tube. I think it's going to continue to play out this way. I think our breakthrough is inevitable. I, I think things are going to turn, and that, Keith, you and I are young enough, and hopefully even people older than us are going to live long enough to see this, uh, the, this current post-World War II order change dramatically. I, I think that is the trend. I, I, and I just think it's an idea. I don't want to oversimplify it or cliche it. I think it's an idea that uh, time has come, and whatever we do or not do isn't going to, to stop it. Although uh, I am very proud and glad that I have been you know, on the beat here uh, for uh, 20 years next year and, and for all the things you've done, uh, Keith, in the last few years, which uh, arguably is more than anybody else has done. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of lightning in a bottle and just having uh, something just just hit, and you had a platinum uh, record here uh, this month with the, with the band The ADL. And, uh, yeah, I think going back to Elon Musk, though, I would say, I mean, of course, I don't know who knows him. You know, I don't know him. I don't know anything you know, about him except for what I've been able to, to, to read and, and surmise. I had heard that about uh, one of his children. And I think that he is probably at least fundamentally opposed to some, if not a majority, of the elements of the woke agenda. And I think that there is some, you know, sincere 
pushback from him on this. Uh, but, you know, certainly joining in on a band, the ADL conversation and amplifying that to the extent that he did and getting so much more noticing going on like he did. Uh, that was definitely a next level move. I mean, for a guy like that, I mean, Dinesh D'Souza is one thing. Elon Musk is, is certainly another. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. It was a huge development. And the good thing about that then is you have all of these these accounts that are more apolitical or more conservative that are kind of following the leader and and they're jumping on that. And but you know, very quickly this stuff is is really getting normalized. I mean, I was in a space on on Twitter a couple of days ago that has like eighty thousand listeners, and it was like this kind of diverse coalition. There was like Muslims in there. There was even like immigrants. <laughs> But they were all like very anti-ADL. There was like these narratives about about Jewish power going on, um, and these were, you know, these were some people that were, you know, they're certainly not distant right, certainly not old right. They're, like I said, lots of different political backgrounds. But you know, that conversation is happening now, and like conversations are happening that you couldn't have imagined um, yes. happening with the, with the reach there just a few years ago. Um, and this just seems to be the trend across the board. I mean, censorship has held it off somewhat. But it's like, how long can that go on? Because it's just constantly bubbling up under the surface. Like I said, even when we were all banned, you know, you see these anonymous oh, accounts yeah. getting millions of views on our basic talking points. I, I think uh, it was, um, you know, something going back to the dawn of the alt-right era, become who you are. If, if A lot of people are becoming who they are now. And if Donald Trump or somebody like Trump, I mean, maybe Trump will just be the bridge. Although I don't know. I mean, you look at the Republican field sans Trump, and it's just like the typical garbage i mean what a dispiriting field the, the gop uh would, yeah. would have this year had it not been for trump but if someone whether it be trump and again i think you know i think it's a strong likelihood a probability even that he's going to be in prison before the next election and how much more is that going to radicalize uh, the folk out there at least half the country uh, i think the future of america is going to be a balkanization at least i hope for it because we don't have our people don't have a future on this continent uh, with the you know the current uh, system uh, but I think if somebody stepped into the moment and just harnessed this raw energy, they could go wherever they wanted to go. I mean, Trump is 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 the closest we've gotten to it. At least he's flirting with it, uh, although he's never done you know the tangible stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the conditions are right, Keith, for something here uh, that we haven't seen in 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 decades and decades but um nevertheless a couple of more questions about this very quickly uh our friend brad griffin over at the occidental descent webzine a great friend of mine has a couple of questions for you the response from the campaign i mean you know what have you been seeing in your personal inbox with regards to this i mean because of course this spawned international coverage everybody was covering it jonathan greenblatt was going on every tv show he could to respond to you uh, so what has been the response that you've gotten from people all around the world on Twitter and elsewhere? Yeah, it's been, it's been a great response. Um, you know, there's been a lot of outreach. Like I said, some of these guys like like Jake Shields, uh, you know, suddenly they're interacting with this stuff. They're learning about the ADL. They're learning how, how this censorship regime works. They're learning like who the head of the snake is, who's really in charge. Uh, and that's been my experience. It's just a, a lot of people that you might have thought there'd be no common ground with um, suddenly getting very interested in this stuff. And, you know, maybe there's a lot of people that are more red-pilled in, in private than you would think. And, you know, as you were saying that, like, I, I did watch some of the, the Republican debates from the other day, and, yeah, it is kind of incredible how uh, how far behind the, the actual establishment politics is. 
But, uh, you know, I did read something recently where there was a leftist publication and they were very worried about the potential of a, like a right-wing AOC. And, you know, I just thought, like, if, if someone like Vivek Ramaswamy or, or someone like this, if they just came out and said whites are under attack, uh, I don't think they'd lose any support. I think that would be, uh, that would be like a, a rocket ship. Uh, and I feel like it's Absolutely. just a matter of time before someone kind of takes that rocket ship and goes to the moon. Well, that's really, I, I 100% agree with you, Keith. I think that's the only frontier that uh, it, the message hasn't yet penetrated is the upper echelon of the Republican establishment. And believe me, there is a big difference. You know, I, when I got started with the Buchanan campaign in the, in the early 2000s and then, you know, starting the radio show in 2004, to say there was no difference between the two parties, you know, obviously was was true. And on that particular level now, you know, the Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer level, you can still say that. Uh, but there is a huge difference between the parties now on a state level, a state like Alabama or Tennessee versus California or New York. There are differences in the parties. And I think, yes, I think, uh, you, you know, and, and still, even in Congress, I mean, you've certainly penetrated on a congressional level now where you've got people for all of her faults and she has them. But I'd never let the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Marjorie Taylor Greene, a lot you can say about her that's objective uh, or, or uh, objectionable uh, and objective, if, if you will. But she said on 9-11, a provocative date to say it on 9-11 of uh, this month, September 11th, that the red state needs to secede from the union. Red states need to secede. I mean, these are, again, talking points and conversational topics. I mean, setting United States a congressperson. Uh, this is, I mean, it's definitely moving in the right direction. So we've got two minutes remaining. Did you see this Twitter space between Ben Shapiro and Musk? Do you have a take on that? I didn't watch it. Yeah, I listened into it. It was incredible. It was, uh, it was like a virtual Sanhedrin, you know, that's what I was calling it, where uh, <laughs> you, you have to go on with the former president of Israel and, and like head of the World Jewish Congress and, and Ben Shapiro. I thought it was amazing because I... I mean, I understand why he did it. Like, he, if he's, he's thinking if he's going to go after the ADL, he wants to kind of clean up any accusations. He did this kind of groveling space for an hour. I think at one point he said he was aspirationally Jewish. Um, but again, like the, the overreach, these guys, like I thought that, you know, they'd make a good face and, and show, look, we're conservative Jews. We don't support censorship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I mean, half the people on the space were demanding he censor anti-Semitism more and introduce the, the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. Some guy was even offering to send over engineers to like change the Facebook algorithm to, to uh, include the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. So the overreach was incredible. Um, but, you know, it, it shows the kind of forces he's up against when he, when he tries to, to do something hey, like this. Um, again, I... Well, it is, and and you know, I I was on CNN with Jesse Lee Peterson, and Jesse Lee Peterson and I hit it off, and he's been on my show every year since. Uh, I, I I think it's foolish if you th believe that there are non-whites that are operating in good faith, and you have commonality with, not to try to build bridges and work with them. So whatever the you know, uh, Stephen Miller, you know, he mm -hmm. says some things I like. Let's let's welcome that. Let's not just say, hey, you know. We're not going to work with them. No, it's you know we'll accept any help we can get and any assist we can get. That doesn't mean putting one of these on the platform and having them having to sanction our message. At Keith Woods YT, Keith, we're out of time. Thank you so much.